Christ is risen. We had just one question on the last section on 1 Peter 2, 11 through 17, uh, before we get into the new section. So we'll, we'll talk that unless anyone has other questions before we get started. I have to plug this in. Should come up here in a second. So the last verse is verse 17. We didn't really get to talk about it much. Um, Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. So four statements. um, And the question that I pose is, are all of these equal? Or how do these, how do, do, do they rank? What's he doing? Is he going in a direction or just four statements all set apart. Um, one thing that you would notice if you, if you see the NIV, they deal with this a little bit differently. And, and that, that would be one way of looking at it. Um, where it says, show proper respect to everyone, and then it, then it addresses these three, love the brotherhood of believers, fear God, honor the king. As if this one is kind of like this is a like a, a general statement that belongs to all of them. So add like show respect to everyone, and included in that everyone is love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Um, I, I think the reason that they do that is in in Greek. This this one is a different tense than the others. I think this is an aorist tense, which is kind of like a. It's like a past tense, but it's in, in, a, in an imperative. It's just do this. Um, and then these ones are present tenses. So it'd be like continue loving the brotherhood, fearing God. And that's why they do that, because there is a difference between those four verbs. They're, one is a different tense. Um, but the, the ESV doesn't do that. It just says, and that's what the words say, that honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. What's the... Maybe take them one at a time, or two at a time. So to take these two first two, are they saying the same thing, or are they, is it, what's it doing? Honor everyone, love the brotherhood. So is there a difference in the brotherhood there? The NIV is right there when it translates that's the brotherhood of believers. Um, when it's talking about the brotherhood, it's talking about fellow Christians. Um, What's that mean? When you say love or honor everyone, love the brother. There there is a little bit of distinction. Um, That doesn't mean that Christians uh, like show off kind of favoritism toward other Christians where you don't, you know, it's not saying that you don't love everyone, but there is a difference in the scripture talks that way. Um, You know, uh, What's the verse? So, uh, love to everyone, especially to those, to, to the brethren, uh, especially to those who belong to the household of faith. Um, there, there is a care that Christians have for each other that is, I don't know, what does it do? A step up from their honor to everyone, so we're not disregarding anyone. And, and it uses, uses the different word, uses love instead of honor. Section, if you 
Yeah, and we do talk about loving the neighbor too. Right. So, that, that so I have neighbors that are, I don't know if I have neighbors that are non-believers, but I'm just saying, where does that fit into neighbors? Right. I mean, so, so this is not going to be exclusive, as if to say we love the brother, but doesn't mean we don't love our non-Christian neighbors. But it, you know, at least there, there is a care for everyone, so they would fall into everyone. And you're going to have, you're going to have kings that might not be part of the brotherhood. They may not fear God, but will still honor them. And so, so it's not excluding, I think, the, the non-Christian neighbor uh, from, I mean, to say, well, I, I'm told to love only the brotherhood, so I, I'm not going to love you. The honor and, and love that we would show to but there is a there is a, a perhaps a distinction that we would make. Uh, a, a particular command that we're given given to love our fellow Christians too. Uh, there's there's something something uh, in the scripture does that. Okay, so then what about the next one? Fear God. And we've talked about this the the term fear that we're not talking about a remember that we use the terms of a servile fear and a filial fear. Well, a servile fear, like a, a fear of punishment, a filial fear, like a childlike fear. Um, and that, even, but even the childlike fear is fear. Like, you know, it's, dad can hurt me, but I'm not, I'm not terrified that he will because he loves me, because I'm his son, but he's bigger than me. And so just that, that sense of, well, we should fear this wrath. He could, you know, God does threaten to punish those who disobey, therefore don't disobey. Um, fear God. How does that relate to the others? This is going to go over all of them, isn't it? I mean, this is where we are to fear, love, and trust in God above all things, right? So our fear of God must... Um, Trump is a word might might must be be the, the top. We fear, love, and trust in God above all things. So our love for the brotherhood is not going to go above our, our fear of God um, or honor, honor for everyone. Um, and then honor the king. So now that you're in this, now because this is what he had been talking about in this section, right? He is talking about honoring the king in this. Um, be subject to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor, which is the, the term for the king, or they're kind of interchangeable. Um, so that's what's in the context. And so he kind of backs up and says, well, we treat everyone with respect and honor. We love our brothers. We fear God above all things. And all of those things put us now as Christians in a position where how are we going to handle the emperor? Even if he's not one of the brothers, even if he's, you know, but but he's been put there by God as the will of God that by, uh, you know, there, that that he should punish wrongdoers and and uh, praise those who do good. We're gonna give him honor, just like we would anyone else. I don't. I don't know. It's not like there's a. It's not like he's going from smaller to greater or from. No, I was just gonna say, could that have helped? <laughs> You know, because remember when you put number one, two, yeah, three, you know, or, or you um, lead up to the intensity. One of the, the commentators that I, that I was reading, um, you know, he said what it kind of does is it puts the bigger ones in the middle. 
and, and kind of flanks, but, but that, so you have the same word here at the at beginning and the end, and so they kind of go like this. Um, that, and if you look at these two pairs, you know, uh, if I had to choose, I, not that I had to, you know, between um, honor for everyone in the brotherhood, maybe I'd give a, a there, there is a, a preference for a, I'm not sure how to describe that. Because you, certainly the scripture never turns up, directs us to turn away from, you know, well, if they're not a Christian, then we don't, you know, but, but it does direct us there. Brotherhood kind of like almost like think about family almost, because you got your yeah. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So you've got neighbors, and you've got closer neighbors and further neighbors, and your family is a closer neighbor. They they get priority in a in a certain sense, become by proximity and by relationship, by vocation. Um, if I if I neglect my children to go and take care of someone else's children, I've abandoned something that God has given me. Right. Um, and, and that might be the same thing too. Uh, and but then in here too, this one should be most obvious, right? That if it's between God and the King, I gotta go to God. And so perhaps it's it's kind of wrapped up in the middle and, and says that these two uh, inform how we do this. They do not, you know, obviously we we don't use these as excuses not to do these. Ever, right? These aren't excuses, but there is a. As we live in a in a foreign world, how do we how do we live? It kind of sums it up that way. Everyone is kind of a strong statement. I mean, how can you honor everyone? I think you honor them. Well, just like you honor the king, you honor them in the position that they have. So you know, in the, in the king, the obedience that's due to him is due to his office, not his person per se. You know. Um, and maybe that's the way we would look at everyone. That we look at them as God looks at them. With the dignity that God has, God has bestowed on this, this is This is a creature, a person that God has made. Um, and so the honor that's due to them, just like the honor that's due to the king, is the honor that's due to his office. And the honor to everyone is the honor that God has given to them by creating them, by dying for them. That we, we look at them as one for whom Christ died, yeah. and that, that that's an honor. You know, that's, a, that's an honor that's due that is due yeah. because of that. So it might not be as their according to their person, their character, or the, whether we like them or not doesn't really matter. Um, honor everyone, he says. All right, then we can look to the next section. Verses 18 through 25, so we're going to wrap up chapter 2. I will, how's this size? That's probably pretty good. I'll have to scroll it, though, if you're reading from up there, or you can read from the Bible, that'd be good. Let's read 18 through 25. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, 
because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. All right, really, really wonderful section here. Let's back up. Beginning. Servants. Now, um, ESV translates this servants. The uh, NIV translates it slaves. Um, which, so, same word. Um, but we want to think about what that is. What is this institution? When, when he now refers to before, he had referred to people in re- respect to their leaders, right, authorities. And now he's going to address, um, remember we had pointed out in that section, he says be subject to the emperor and, or every authority. And now he's, now he's going to address the servants. And later on he's going to talk to, to other family members um, with, and use the same thing of being subject. What is the servanthood or the, or the slavery of Peter's day? Um, I think it's useful to think about that in comparison to modern employment. Because we might say, well, we don't have slavery anymore. So this doesn't apply. We don't have to pay attention to this section. Um, I don't know. Have you ever considered that or thought, thought through what's, oh, what was this kind of slavery like? What was he talking about? Um, one thing that's really helpful with this particular one, in um, Romans, Paul uses a different word for servants or, or slaves, um, but Peter uses this word oiketai. Um, uh, the word in Greek, oikos, means house. Um, it's where we get the term economics or economy, um, and we think that means money. Um, that means household. The economy is the law of the household, oikos. And so an oiketai is a house servant. It's a domestic servant. Um, that, I think that's useful. Uh, what you're, not, you're not talking, and, and whenever we, we think of either servants or slaves, our mind probably goes to pre-Civil War United States, slave trade, people bought and sold. Now, that's not to say that there weren't elements of that in first century servanthood um, but it was not I, we cannot draw an equal sign and draw a line and say that everything that we know about American slavery in the you know pre-civil war is, is is what it's talking about here and I think that's helpful when you have a word like oiketai, uh, household servant because who's the master of a household servant it's the head of the house so you're talking about someone who's brought into the house to serve that household, um, they, they do serve the, the household, they, and, they, and they perhaps were, in many cases, were, you know, like, um, uh, they, were, they were made slaves because of war or poverty or whatever the, the reason was that these people were put, placed into slavehood. They didn't own their own home. 
And so they worked for someone who did, and they worked in their home. Um, just because, so, so in, and also in the, the verse, he says, be subject to your masters. And the word master there, um, it's the word that we get despot from, despotois, um, which doesn't sound good either. So the, the word, he doesn't, but who this master was, if you're a household servant, it's the head of the household. He runs the household, and so he's in charge of you, um, too. He would have also had sons in the household, and they, were, they would have their own instructions for how they, uh, how they respond to this guy. But you have, um, so you do this with all respect. Um, interestingly, uh, the translations, they both translate it respect, but this is the word fear, too. It's the same word used in the verse before for fear God. With, with fear. Um, but with all respect. Um, but not only to the good and gentle. Meaning, some of them were good and gentle. Right? That, that was a case, that you had, you had good masters. And that slave in that household didn't, probably didn't want for anything. You know, they worked. They, they, yes, they didn't have their freedom, but they had clothes and food. And, and they lived. And they lived under the, you know, in this and they served and whatever. But that's not who he's, I mean, he's not just those ones. So those ones should do that too. Which, that seems obvious, right? If someone takes care of you, you honor them, you uh, be subject to to the master, you, you, and you, you get that. But there are also others that are not. <clears throat> so what do you do? And so then the rest of the section is really dealing with what do you do also when he's unjust? You can't take for granted that you do this if the guy's nice. And he's kind. And he's taking care of you know his servants to do like he's caring for his whole household. Um, but, oh, so... Compare that to, to modern day, uh, modern day employment. Differences, similarities. Similarities in that. Yeah, and you get paid. Um, but it's you know is is there? I mean the, it, it's not like servants weren't paid necessarily. They just didn't get a wage, but they got a place to sleep and a food and a shelter. You know, like, there, it wasn't like, it, it, I don't know, like as if in every case a, a, a servant is, like, not compensated. They didn't get a benefits package. But they, in many cases, like if someone was, a, especially a good and gentle one, takes care of people that worked for them, right? Um, you know, you have a hired hand and you take, you, you, you take care of them. Um, I just, I come across and, and observe people talking about, about work and I'm, and I'm just, it, it just sounds like slavery to me. You know, people talking about when they can take off. You know, and it's usually the bigger the corporation, the more I, I, I get that sense, you know, the, the big corporate policies that will instruct you when, when, you, when you do what you do. And, you know, like, you, I guess you're, you're free in the sense that you can, you can quit. But if you quit, you know, especially if you're in, you know, like some corporations you've, and you've got like a non-compete clause, like, you, you know, if you, if, yeah, I don't know, you're uh, what? Um, yeah, some executive in some, some corporation and, and you've, got, you've got skills that they, they gave you, they trained you, they put money into you, so they didn't buy you exactly, 
but they spent a lot of money to get you as, as capable as you are, you can't easily leave. <laughs> you know, whether that's because you're under contract or because if you do, you know, you've heard this, like you, you can't get another job in that field. You know, so if you're, I don't, you know, you're a lawyer and you can't just go necessarily and, and start up your own firm if you have this in your contract and stuff like that, or just, um, I don't know, maybe you've observed that too. Um, just corporations can have kind of a, a tight grip on, on people and they're, they're you know, um, so all this to say maybe we still, still should pay attention to this. <laughs> Um, and it might not be, we, we shouldn't look down on them and say, well, those poor people, um, they had this way back in the day and we have nothing like that. Um, so, so you're dealing with someone. So most likely, um, most likely the situation where you have an unjust ruler or a master for a servant, likely this person's not a Christian. It's possible that you could, you, you could have a, a, he's a Christian master, but I, I think either perhaps Christians didn't take slaves all the time, or they would free them, or they you know, or they just be good to them. Um, we do have that in the New Testament, uh, Paul writing uh, with regard to Philemon, and he doesn't it, it encourages him as a Christian man to to release him from his um, from his bondage. But but probably the situation is you're serving a non-Christian. Um, the term unjust, um, it's scolia, or scoliosis. Um, you heard of scoliosis? What is scoliosis? So your back is crooked. Um, so it's the crooked one. Um, uh, so if you've got that, <clears throat> what do you do? <clears throat> uh, so he goes on. So we're going to be subject to the master. And then he's going to go on. So probably in the case that you have the unjust master, the crooked guy, he might do this. He says, this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Um, and Well, let's read more. Uh, like, for what credit is it when you endure and are beaten for it? You, you, you endure uh, when you sin. What it, if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. So it's talking about this situation where someone... Um, oh, I was looking for one page. Why is it a gracious thing before God to endure suffering for doing good? Um, this gracious thing, um, it's used twice. It's a, uh, this is a gracious thing, and then down below... He says it again, similarly. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. The, e, uh, the NIV translates a, a commendable before God. It is commendable before God here. And uh, up here, it is commendable. Um, that helps. So the term is just the, it's the same word for grace. This is a grace, is what it says. Um, uh, and so then you can understand why they translate a gracious thing. Um, it's, it, it is, it's definitely positive, what he says, right? This is a, a, a grace, the, the term could be translated gift, like it's a gift. That would be even stronger to say that. Um, 
or this is a you know, the, the idea of it being commendable before God. It is a thing that causes God to be gracious or favorable. Like, um, that's kind of the idea. Um, but it's, it's a positive thing, right? He says, this is, a, this is a, good, a good thing for you to do this when you endure sorrows but while suffering unjustly. Why? Why is that a... Why is that a positive thing for the Christian? So you do good, but you get bad in response. And he says, you know, that's a, that's a gracious thing. It's a reflection of what Jesus endured before he was killed. And that's good. <laughs> right? Why? It kind of goes against your human nature. It's sort of kind of, in a sense, of mercy that Sure. I think that's a good, good but it's, it's the opposite of the way it you know, like you'd, you'd think, right? Tit for tat kind of thing. Someone, you do something good, they should do good to you. If you do what's right, you know, and that's in general the way often things work, you know, like, um, you know, if you want, if you want to avoid punishments that in Rome's, you know, don't, don't do wrong things. <laughs> you know, generally that, that works, it doesn't always. You know, or, um, you know, honor your father and mother, that it may go well with you and you may live long and enjoy long life in the land the Lord God is giving you. You know, honor your parents, things will go well for you, better than if you don't, generally. But we live in a world of sin, and there are crooked people, and they might do this. And when they do, he says, that's a, that's a, that's a thing of grace. Um, so you mentioned Jesus, and he's going to do that. He's going to connect this to Jesus. He's going to do the same thing. He's going to set the example for this. But why is it, why is it a gracious thing? Well, one, you did what is good. Doing what is good is good. <laughs> it's just, there's, there's a quote for you. <laughs> Doing what is good is good, regardless of how someone responds to it. Right? So why is this a gracious thing? Because you did what was right. And... And because in doing so, you had to endure suffering patiently, but innocently. It only, this is, and he's going to say this. This only works if, you, if you're suffering innocently. Right? If you do what's wrong and then you get punished, that's not the same thing. <laughs> you know? So you can't, you can't complain again you know, about, well, we shouldn't complain about the suffering either way. But you know, if you deserved it, All right. Uh, so, why it's a gracious thing? You know, do, is that a, is that a, a sentiment in our modern world that suffering innocently is a is a good thing? Absolutely not. <laughs> Nobody wants to suffer. Yeah, and and you'd almost you'd almost consider those who do like kind of to be despised. You know, those who who would just hate. You know, I kept thinking about when you talk about this, you know, you talk about the employer, but it just keeps coming back to mind. Uh, let's just say it's the wife, the man's the head of the house. And he's an unbeliever. You know, you're, you're being gracious. You're not always trying to hold the trip, things like that, but you're role modeling and maybe someday, right? So. Yep. And he's going to, um, he won't get into those particular details, but the, you know, the next section, next chapter is wives yeah. be. He's gonna he's gonna go just there, but it's the same principle being laid down that it is a gracious thing, and you, yeah, you might. Um, uh, then so then he says to this you were called. 
got to find that. For to this you were called, verse 21. What is the this? For this, to this you have been called because Christ suffered for you. Leaving you, this is why I, this why I just changed the, the, the type size on the, on the screen, which is really useful to be able to do, right, on a computer. You can make it look like anything, right? I can make it as big, as little as I want to. But what does that do? And I don't know if, like, as soon as I did that, now i got to find where I was again, right? Um, guess what happens in a book? You can't change the type size. You can get a, you can get a large print book. But once it's printed, it stays where it is. And there's, there's a, a large value in especially re- I mean, reading anything, but especially reading the scriptures, that, that the next time you look at that verse, it's going to look the same way. Um, that, that's useful for your memory and for, for tracking and stuff like that. This is a nice tool, but this just does not, it, it has that impermanence. Where I'll, now it's different, you know, and I, I could make this look like anything. I could make it any font, any color, any size, shape, like, yeah, um, and, and which would allow us to learn nothing. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> so, so that's why I encourage you to use your Bible if you can, um, <laughs> so that you don't have this, like, like uh, uh, yeah. Um, to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving the what is the this? To what were you called? I mean, so it's a pronoun, right? And we, we, we like pronouns. We like to, to know what the pronouns mean. And they refer to real things. So the this is what? You're going to look back. What is this that is called? To this you have been called. To, to this. What is that? To, to suffer for what is good? Um, you, could, you could back up and say, what, I mean, because the scripture does, we do talk about just the simple call to be a Christian. Right? You have been called to this, um, but this being a Christian involves, it could refer to the being subject to, it could refer to the um, doing good bit, you have been called to that, right? And then you have been called, not so, so you've been called to do what is good, but when it gets tough, then you can do whatever, something else. No, you've been called to do good even if not everyone appreciates it, uh, or something like that. Uh, so in, in this, what this is the call to the Christian faith is, is, is a call to suffer unjustly. We do not bring that upon ourselves. We don't aim to bring that upon ourselves. But it, it is, that is part of the Christian calling. Um, and you know, what do we call that? Shorthand? What do we call the Christian suffering? We, we, Jesus gave it to us. It's a shorthand for it. We call it the cross. Okay? Uh, reflected from Jesus' cross. Jesus saying, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself care and pick up his cross daily and follow me. Um, and it's, is, we could say it this way, no, no cross, no Christian. This, this is part of the calling. Um, you can't follow Jesus and not have his cross in there somewhere, right? Uh, in a reflection. Um, 
How do you receive this calling? To this you have been called. You know, so again, so how, how does this come to us? Well, as, as we are called to be called to faith, um, that's that's a part of the deal. Um, how is it that you're called to um, to this suffering? Well, it just sort of it kind of just happens to you. All when you talk about the word "call," that's the term "vocal," so vocation. Your vocation always comes to, from the outside. Um, no one. We will sometimes talk about someone. You know, you ask, "What are you going to do? What are you going to go into?" What you know, what like as if we really get to pick your vocation. You don't. Like even if you want to, you you can train yourself for. Uh, say, I want to be a plumber. I can go and I can train myself to be a plumber, but I can't make myself a plumber because someone has to hire me. Right? It has to come from the outside. Like even if I'm, oh, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to start up my own plumbing company. Someone has to hire me, <laughs> you know. Just like my call to be to be married doesn't come. I can say I picked the perfect woman, um, but no, she had to say yes. <laughs> right? I can't just do that. I can't. I I can't put myself into a vocation. Vocation has to come from the outside. And same thing with the call to be a Christian. It has to come from the outside. Yeah. And so this. Um, and then, so suffering is going to come from the outside, too. Yeah. All right, then, now he's going to connect it to Jesus. So, for this you've been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example. So, he lists first several examples of how Jesus endured unjust suffering. Jesus did this. He suffered, versus suffered you. But then he says this is an example, and the example, um, uh, the, the word that he uses there, for example... Um, is like a, it's a writing example. You know, do you ever have to, in school, have to copy something down? You have the, 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 the pattern, and then you copy it. That's the idea. Jesus sets the type, the pattern, um, and then we are, it, it's to be copied. So he sets the example. Uh, what's, what is the example? How would we summarize that? What did he do? Unjust suffer. Yeah. Committed no sin. Neither was to see found on the, this kind of brownish, whatever color this is. I, I used that highlighter to um, these passages from Isaiah 53. So these are, this is, this is a quote. If I clicked on this B, I, it would tell me it's from Isaiah. Um, that's, that's a quote. Um, the others, he, he does that. It's all from Isaiah 53. And this, he's, now he's interspersing these like bits from Isaiah 53. So that... He committed to, yeah, so just remember this, this line here, this was written 700 years earlier. Um, when he was reviled, and he just seamlessly writes it in there, like, who is the he? It's Jesus, right? But Isaiah wrote this. <laughs> uh, when, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. So what, how do we summarize that? He doesn't, he doesn't retaliate. Um, it, it's the, the example is in the unjust thing, but he doesn't get, go and get back. When he suffered, he did not threaten. All right, so he's passive in that. Continued in trusting himself to him who judges justly. I think that's an important part. So he doesn't just he just just let it happen. But that but it's a, so there's a there's a not getting back, but also a trusting. 
and he entrusts himself. So he doesn't try to, he doesn't fight for himself. He allows another, trusts in God, to fight for him. He, he entrusts himself to him who judges just. You think of that in, on the cross? Where does Jesus do that, particularly on the cross? Remember that? There's a lot of those final words. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Um, and then Luther picks up on that in that morning and evening prayers. I commend myself, my body and soul and all things. Let your holy angel be with me. I commend myself to you um, at the end of the day, just as Jesus did, entrusting himself to him who judges justice. So, so he doesn't fight back. He entrusts himself to the just judge. The other, what other part of the example is there? I think he, just, he didn't do wrong. <laughs> So that's, that's another way that Jesus is this example in this, that, that it's unjust suffering, so he doesn't, first he doesn't sin, he doesn't do what's wrong, what they're accusing him of, and then he doesn't, when they accuse him, he doesn't put, he doesn't retaliate, and then when they keep on killing him, he entrusts himself to, to the one who judges. He doesn't have to judge them, he entrusts that judgment to God. What was Jesus' attitude we kind of, that, that's in there? What is his attitude when he endures suffering? Of um, contentment and, and trust and faith. So, we have an example in Jesus, yes? How would you respond to the statement that says, okay, so Christianity, what Christianity is about being Christ-like. I was going to say, well, no, we can be something else. Okay, so, so we can agree with that in a sense, right? Um, we're not going to argue against, we should follow Jesus' example. We should seek to be Christ-like. Is that the essence of Christianity? Because if, if that was, so then I look at you and I say, eh, not so much, you. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen you, I've heard what you say, not so much like Christ. And I look in the mirror, and that, that would be horrifying, wouldn't it? What if my faith was dependent upon my being like Jesus? We're all lost. Sorry. Um, you know, as Christians, God willing, um, and God helping us tremendously, um, we are, we, we do this. That we do act in some Christ-like ways. Um, but if that was the essence of Christianity, again, that would, that would, we, would, we would be lost. Uh, what is the essence of Christianity? And, and he's got that right in here. He's not skipping over this. Jesus suffers unjustly. At whose hands does Jesus suffer unjustly? He is just he is right. He committed no sin. Why does he suffer then? Well, because there's naughty people and they hurt him. Who's, um, oh yeah, whose sins is he suffering for? Yeah, not just the men who beat him. He is suffering for theirs too. But he is suffering for mine, right? And so simply to be Christ-like yeah, we would not say that's the essence. What is that? Well, we would just say that. 
To be Christ-like is a fruit of faith. So Christians, the essence of Christianity is that Jesus suffered is the forgiveness of sins in Christ. He makes me new, and he gives faith in him, rescues from death and the devil, and therefore the new man in me bears fruit and wants to be like Christ. So this is all a fruit of faith, but it is an example. So he's not, let's, let's, let's be clear, he is an example, but he's not only an example, and being an example for us is not the essence of our faith. It is a fruit of faith. It is an act of a living faith that, that seeks this, seeks to, as we follow him, who suffered for us in our sins. Um, we will wish to follow uh, in his footsteps. So he does this. He is an example for us, but not only an example. Okay, so Christianity is about being Christ-like. Yes, Christians want to be Christ-like. I, I, wouldn't want to, I wouldn't say it that way. I wouldn't say that this is what Christianity is about. That would give a wrong impression. Because then, again, non-Christians see you and say, that's not very Christ-like. You're a hypocrite. Right? If Christianity was about that, then that's right. But if they, they look at you, hopefully, I mean, well, they're going to see you sin, anyone who knows you, right? Um, and they say, oh, but they need, they need Jesus. And, and that then they, they, they might see occasionally a reflection of Christ in you, I hope, um, and that that would communicate also to them the kindness of this Christ. Okay, so first Christ suffers for you, uh, then you follow in his footsteps. So it then asks, what's the relationship between, um, between Jesus' suffering and us? And that Isaiah 53. So I I highlighted the verses here that reflect or drawn from. So you have that one in verse 22, this one here. And then you've got, um, he bore our sins in his body. Well, let's look at Isaiah 53. Just so you can see this. Bore our sins and then you have by his wounds you have been healed. I don't know if when you're reading this passage you would say, oh, by his wounds you have been healed. I recognize it before, but maybe it's just from here and not it's from Isaiah 53. And then you were straying like sheep. So let's look at Isaiah 53. We will hear this um, either on like Ash Wednesday or Good Friday. Uh, beautiful chapter. Um, but here you have, you see this. He has borne our griefs. Carry, he has borne them. Uh, bore our sins on the cross. He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He suffered for our sins. Right? He, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So clear in Isaiah. Right? 700 years earlier. And along comes Peter, the apostle, and he's writing to these Christians. And, he's, and he kind of does that seamlessly. Do you see that? Like he doesn't even mention Isaiah as he's doing this. He doesn't say, as Isaiah the prophet wrote. Right? He just weaves it into his, into his sermon, and he doesn't cite his source. He just, he just recites what, you know, and, and you know, it's not even in the, right, the same order, because this verse comes after the verse down here. Uh, by his wounds you have been healed. What does all that say about Christ and his suffering and us? 
He bore our sins in his body on the tree. So what is his suffering again? It's not just at the hands of the naughty men. Right? His sufferings have something to do with us. And, and when, when we say he bore our sins in his body, this word, um, he bore, what is the word? He did something. Um, he bore our sins. They use the same thing. It's, it, it does mean that. So like to bear, to lift up. Although the, the, the idea is that one, like, they, like someone lifts up something for a sacrifice. So it kind of has this idea, he bore our sins uh, on the tree, that he's, he's like the priest lifting up the sacrifice before God. Um, but what, is, what, is he, what he's doing is he's carrying our sins up to the cross. But then where does he carry it? How does he carry this, the, 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 our sins? Up to the altar of the cross, but it's in his body. So who is he? Is he the priest offering up the sacrifice before God? Or is he the, he's the sacrifice too. We have that in our hymns. Himself the victim and himself the priest. Right? He is both the priest, he offers up the sacrifice, and he's the sacrifice. Um, because it's in his body. He carries them. Um, all of our sins. Uh, I, I think even, but even the, the Isaiah, he even when he says he buries our griefs, that it's even wider than just our, our, our specific you know, breaking of the commandments. It's everything that comes as a result of it, too. He bears that weight. And um, I think you could, you could say it's even more than this that he, bear, that, that, that he even carries, because he's carrying not just ours, but the sins of the whole world. You know what that means? Is that he's even carrying the sins that have been done to you. How about that? <laughs> you know, the hurt that comes upon you and someone else. So, so do you have to always figure out who was right? You know, did I, I hurt that person more or did they hurt me more? And, who, you know, well, how am I going to know? It doesn't matter. Jesus carried it all of it. You know, so I can let go of that too. Which is a very refreshing thing to not have to figure out. Well, you know, I, I, I did this, I said this, and they said that. And, you know, the, you know do I have to do the, the whatever, what, what's that when you figure out, you know, who's at fault, you know, 70% fault there and 30% fault here. I don't have to do that. He carried, he himself, he bore it all. Um, carries it to the cross. That, with what result? See, again, this is the fruit of faith. With the result that, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Um, his suffering bears my sin, takes it away, carries it upon himself so to free me. Um, and if I'm freed from this, if he suffered for me, how do I now understand the suffering that I undergo when someone else sins against me and they call me evil and though I'm trying to do good? I'm free. I certainly don't have to justify myself. So I was right. You know? At least I think I was. I might not have been. I'm okay either way. <laughs> right? Because either way, I live by grace. I live under his suffering. Um, his, so, so, if, yeah, so if they hurt me, I'm, I'm, I've died to sin 
and I live to righteousness. Uh, by his wounds you have been healed. That's, that's kind of a healing that you know, non-Christians just don't have. Um, it's every, every new wound, everything that, you know, otherwise, everything that someone does to you, you need to make sure that you fix it. <laughs> and now I don't have to because I've been healed by his wounds. Like, to live in the mercy of God is a tremendous thing. I mean, it's just the stuff that gets us riled up and that gets us worked up in most of it. Um, and we just, there's just no way to live when you're con- constantly trying to fix everything, both in myself and in others. And Oh, here comes Jesus. <laughs> and, and he says, I'll, 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 bury, I'll bear that for you. That I don't, have to, I don't have to go to the cross to suffer for sins. I can go to the cross to receive his redemption and his blood. And his blood cleanses you. His wounds. His wounds. I love that, the hymn. Uh, we don't have it in our hymnal. Uh, in Jesus I find rest and peace. The world is full of sorrow. His wounds, or is it your wounds? His wounds are my abiding place. Let the unknown tomorrow, uh, let the unknown tomorrow do what they may. There I may stay. My faith has all I need today. I will not trouble borrow. That's what Jesus says. He says, don't go and, tomorrow has enough worry of itself. You don't need to go and borrow on tomorrow. (laughs) On tomorrow's worries. He says, it's got enough. I don't have to borrow from tomorrow. Just, just, but what you have today, I've given you everything that you need today. Um, and where am I going to find that rest? In Jesus, I find rest and peace. The world is full of sorrow. His wounds are my abiding place. It just could, it, could I fit into the wounds? Could I, could I stay there like Thomas wanting to stick his hand into Jesus' side? Now that's kind of gross when we read that. Like, why do you, kind of creeps us out a little bit, sticking your finger into someone's wounds. Um, but that's where we, I think that's where we want to be. And I think that's where we want to remain. Is to live our lives in the wounds of Jesus. Because that's where my healing is. Um, For you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. So again, he's he's kind of like hinting back at Isaiah 53. We all like sheep have gone astray. So there's no no one excluded from that. We all like sheep have gone astray. Even those who, you know, we have suffered, you know, the, the, the servant who's, he, he suffers, some of what he suffers might be his own fault. Bound to happen, right? But some of it isn't. And he can rest, and he can entrust himself to God in either case. Right? In repentance, he lives in repentance where he's done what is wrong, and, and we want as Christians to be to, to acknowledge that, we've, we've strayed like sheep for sure. Um, or if not, you know, what if I was right? And what if I didn't deserve that kind of treatment from this person, from this person above me that I'm supposed to honor? Um, I can still honor him, and, and I haven't lost anything. Um, because you were strayed like sheep, but now have returned. <laughs> And we always wanted to come back. 
Um, and so he, he shifts this, but it's, you can see where, you know, he's not like distracted as he's writing it, you know, and all of a sudden, he's, you know, he was talking about, he bore our sins in his body. He's still, like, you kind of wonder if he's writing this with his, the, the prophet, the book of the prophet open, or he probably doesn't need it open. He has it memorized. Peter does, perhaps, you know, and he's thinking of Isaiah 53. And he's like, yeah, we, we were like that. He's this commentary on Isaiah 53. And uh, we were straying like sheep, now have returned to the shepherd. And the overseer. Um, the reason those are capitalized, of course, because that's referring to Jesus. Jesus is, I don't know if Jesus is, it definitely, he's called the shepherd in other places, right? I am, Jesus himself says, I am the good shepherd. I don't know if he ever, I'd have to look that up, but I didn't, um, to see if Jesus is ever referred to as overseer in another place. Um, uh, overseer, the term there, um, is, in Greek, is episcopus. But you know that you know like the name of the church, like the Episcopal Church, the Episcopate. It means overseer, and that's how that that church body gets its name. That's the English branch of the Anglican Church, the Church of England, the Episcopal Church USA. Um, but that refers to their structure because they have uh, Episcopate means overseer. They have a, a hierarchy structure. Uh, versus the Presbyterians, which takes another Greek word, the word for elder, um, and they make that their structure, and they have more congregational sort of structure. Um, so that maybe gives it away. Where else, where else are these two titles, shepherd and overseer, combined in the New Testament? Jesus is called shepherd and overseer. Who else is called shepherd and, shepherds or overseers? You call them pastors, and because which is all which is essentially shepherd. Pastor means shepherd. Um, uh, it, it, these these two there's really three. I mean, shepherd is used. Uh, episcopate means overseer, and then presbyter means elder. Uh, when the New Testament translations use elder, they're talking about the the pastoral office. Uh, and so there, Jesus is both of those. And, and so are those later on he's going to talk about um, if someone seeks the office of, to be a, an overseer, he desires a noble task. So pastors are referred to that way, and they're also referred to as shepherds and Jesus, which also then sets a model for them, an example for them as well. Yeah. What else? When, we, when he says, of your souls, just remember, when we've talked about this before, when it's not talking about um, just your soul as opposed to your body, he's not trying to divide up the person. It's you. It's your being, right? It's your entire being. is shepherd and overseer. We are out of time. Shall we close with the doxology?